Welcome to We Are the Guard, the Arkansas National Guard's podcast. I'm Lieutenant Colonel Brian Mason, your host and the State Public Affairs Officer. In this edition of We Are the Guard, we're going to have a discussion in a series of discussions focusing on behavioral health. May is National Mental Health Awareness Month, and like any other awareness month or communication campaign, we try to focus on the subjects that our guardsmen and families will want to hear. What we want our listeners to understand with this series is that if you or someone you know is dealing with mental health issues, you can find the support you need with our various resources. And today we're speaking with Mrs. Jayla Robinson, a behavioral health professional in the Arkansas National Guard. Welcome to the podcast. Thank you, sir, for having me. So, Jayla, tell us more about your position and what resources are available to our guardsmen and their families. Absolutely. Well, I'll kind of begin with my position. Um, So, as you mentioned, I am a behavioral health professional for the Arkansas Army National Guard, which is kind of a blanket term. Um, It basically is that we're kind of a three-person crew, essentially. Um, Myself, uh, Janie Cole, who is located in our Fayetteville Armory. And of course, we work underneath uh, Captain Gentry Tillman, who is the Director of Psychological Health for the Arkansas Army National Guard. Um, Janie covers the most northern part or northern half of the state. So anything from Little Rock, upward. And then I work from Little Rock downward. Uh, And so the cases that we see are kind of assigned that way. Um, As a behavioral health professional, I wear several hats. Um, I guess to kind of put it really simply, I regard myself as kind of a connector. Um, I connect with service members. I connect with the units. Uh, My job is to connect with the service members and identify uh, their individual needs, especially as it relates to any mental health or emotional health concerns. Um, And then I would connect those service members with community-based resources. I also would connect with the readiness NCOs and other members of the command structure and advise the units and leadership on mental health issues, best practices, and essentially what's needed to ensure the most mentally and emotionally ready force. Jayla, what are some of the common problems that you see throughout the force in terms of behavioral health? Okay. Um, Well, some of the common problems that we see uh, kind of just include, it varies. I think it's person to person, but if I had to kind of sum it up into generalities, uh, of course, issues with anxiety and depression, uh, struggles with interpersonal relationships or relationship dysfunction. So problems at home, problems in, you know, romantic relationships, problems with social relationships, um, establishing and maintaining a good and healthy work-life balance is also something that's unique to guardsmen. Um, and of course, substance use issues. Those are probably the most common things that we see. Well, you also mentioned referring our soldiers and do you talk to families as well? Yes, sir. Absolutely. Absolutely. So you you mentioned referring them to community-based resources. What do those look like? Okay. Well, um, for a lot of our soldiers, uh, one of our jobs is to be able to connect. So some of our soldiers have health benefits. Uh, most health plans, whether it's TRICARE or Blue Cross Blue Shield or United Healthcare, or any of the gamut, they have behavioral health um, benefits. So our job is kind of to figure out, you know, who would you be most comfortable talking to? Some of the soldiers are like, hey, I want to work with a female or I want to work with a male or I want to work with somebody who understands the rigors of military life. And um, our job is then to kind of know who to kind of point them to based upon their insurance. And if they are, if they are uninsured, because sometimes people are like, hey, I would go and seek out 
counseling, but I'm not insured. Um, so we have uh, connections with uh, people in the community that offer uh, free or reduced services on a sliding scale. And then our job is to help link them with those individuals. Sometimes people are afraid to kind of make the initial call. So I've been willing to, you know, be on a call with them to kind of do the door opener and kind of help kind of do that warm handoff thing, which is really big here in the military um, and kind of assist that way. I think a big part of my job is just um, kind of demystifying and even destigmatizing some of the um, ideas about therapy. People, you know, quickly think, well, I got to have a major problem. Or if I seek out counseling, if I seek out assistance, people think that I'm crazy and things along those lines. So my job is just to help with that. There seems to be a stigma associated with mental health or behavioral health, but certainly shouldn't be. I mean, when my eyes don't see like they should, I go see an ophthalmologist and perhaps get a prescription for glasses. When I've got a hearing problem, I see an audiologist. Why is it different for many of us to understand that something may not be quite right in the way my brain is processing things? Yes, sir. I think a lot of it just has to do with not having those open dialogues. And I think that the things that usually get publicized are the extreme cases. So, you know, you'll see something, well, this person had a long history of of mental health issues ranging back from childhood, and they use that as the justification for why they committed a, a, a tr- atrocity, you know, um, socially. You don't always, or you, or you associate a person with mental health issues as being someone who's, you know, homeless and talking to themselves. And I think that we don't always recognize that you know, the brain can get sick just like the body can. And I think it's important to recognize, hey, when something's a little bit off. Additionally, I think one of the big things too to note is that it doesn't always require extreme things. Sometimes we're just too close to the mirror and having a trained professional to talk things through to help us kind of gain additional insights or another perspective can be immensely helpful. So I just think that sometimes the stigma surrounds People thinking either, well, I'm not that bad off or I don't want to be perceived by others as though it is that bad. I think we associate the really serious issues like bipolar disorder or schizophrenia uh, with anxiety and depression. And sometimes we uh, come out and say, oh, you can get over it, anxiety and depression. But most of the time we really need help, don't we? Yes, sir. Absolutely. And I do think that there are people that are um, just kind of wired for anxiety. We just kind of are always a little bit tense. And in some cases that can be helpful. But when it gets to a place where it's causing impairment, it's causing issues in my daily life. I'm so anxious. I can't come to drill. I'm, I'm so anxious. I don't want to, you know, go out into the field. I'm so anxious. All the other different things. I think it's time to look at at that point. It's causing a problem. It's preventing me from being able to do my job. It's it's impacting my ability to socialize with my peers. And at that point, it's time to kind of look into options to see what's available. Sometimes it can be something as um, as, as I guess, unintrusive as just talking to somebody and getting um, some tips like diaphragmatic breathing or um, progressive, mu- progressive muscle relaxation t- tips and tricks. Sometimes it might require having to get on some medications. And I think that people think, oh, my gosh, if I get on some meds, I'm going to be booted out of the military. And I think that that's just not true. So once again, talking to someone, not, you know, everyone knows a guy. Well, I had that one guy I knew who went to behavioral health and then they, that was the end of his military career. It was the end of a military career. And once again, those are 
Sometimes we don't know all the conditions that surround those cases, but those are the exception, not the standard. I'm sure your job can be challenging on occasion. People don't always end up in front of me on their best day. And so if I've gotten a call from a unit that someone has attempted suicide or people are strongly thinking about it, uh, to me, the hardest case I've ever had to deal with, you know, pretty much kind of surround when someone actually has attempted and may have been unsuccessful in that attempt and has to end up being hospitalized as a result of that. I think in those cases, um, you know, being able to provide the the monitoring and the support and ensuring that they have people around them for just accountability is also really important. Just um, because a person traditionally, as you I'm sure you already know, um, is most at risk for a second attempt after a, a unsuccessful attempt. So I think in those cases, depending upon, you know, the severity of it, um, those are probably the hardest days. What are the signs we need to look for when trying to recognize the suicidal ideations? Well, for me, I generally will ask directly, and that's usually the hardest thing for people to do. Um, I know that here in the military, there's an assist training that's a lot of people end up going through, and they talk about the importance of just asking someone very, very plainly, very, very directly, you know, are, we, are you thinking about suicide? Are you talking about or thinking about taking your life or ending your life? And I want to make that distinction because I think people will say things like, you know, are you thinking about hurting yourself or um, you're not talking about committing suicide, are you? Which which sounds really, really judgmental. And so it's like if someone was thinking about it, they're probably not going to admit it now. So one of the first things that I would do is because if you are having thoughts of suicide, I'm probably the best person for you to talk to in this moment. Right. Um, so I will ask those questions directly. I'll ask it, you know, in a way that's just as casual as saying, hey, would you like to go out for a hamburger or cheeseburger this evening? I mean, those things are just I want to make it that normal. And I think that we want to if our goal is to get away from um, stigmatizing uh, mental health issues, we have to make it normal, because if you're talking about it, you're not acting on an uncommunicated thought. So when I began to talk about it, I asked questions. I want to understand the story. I want to understand how they got there. And for many people, just being able to say I am can be so relieving. Um, at that point, my job is to kind of, you know, get indicators, get more information. How long have you been thinking about this or feeling this way? You know, kind of what's led up to this moment? Um, what has kept you from acting on it to this point? And kind of get an idea. I think that when people um, are talking, there's a, you know, you can listen for, uh, in a sense, they call it uh, links to life. You can listen for those things where they are a little bit um maybe ambiguous. You know, I'm, I'm thinking about it. It's kind of fleeting thoughts. Well, I'll ask, well, have you thought about, you know, how you would do it? And I think that it changes. Like, well, I don't know, just something as opposed to, well, actually, you know, I've been thinking about um, a firearm and I have 12 in the other room. I think in those situations, you have to treat the, treat the ideation differently because a thought is just a thought. A thought is not an action. And I think people hear, Hey, I've been having thoughts and like, oh my goodness, we need to get him to hospital ASAP. And maybe we should in certain situations, but not just on the premise of I've had a thought. I have a thought and I have a plan and I have access to means. Well, now the the risk meter has gone up quite a bit. And our response, of course, needs to be different. You're listening to Miss Jayla Robinson, a behavioral health specialist on We Are the Guard, the Arkansas National Guard's podcast. 
So in terms of risky behavior, what are the things we should consider when making an identification or making a connection there? Well, I think that when it comes down to risk, risky behavior, having people in your life that know how you usually are, you know, when, when you begin to have a, a, a decrease or you begin to kind of like disconnect from some of those things that are typical, if I, if I know that, let's say that you are, you know, you're big into fishing and I ask you a question like, hey, when's the last time you've been out, you know, doing some fishing? And you're like, I don't know. It's been six months. And that's not typical behavior for you. My job is to notice that, well, what's been going on? Well, what are you kind of, I don't know. I just kind of been hanging around the house. I haven't really felt like getting out. You know, I noticed there's been a, a change in your appearance or um, you, you just don't really seem like you. I think in those moments, that's when it's important to kind of ask like, hey, what's going on? Um, I, I also would kind of take it maybe um, as far as those those standardized questions, you know, it's so easy to lie to a piece of paper, right? It's just easy. I think that if someone says something on a piece of paper that is like, you know, every day or nearly every day, um, some of those assessments go even further and they say, you know, have you had any thoughts like, you know, you wish you were dead or you think that you know, people will be better off without you. And someone says all the time or um, nearly every day or one of those things. Well, then that's enough to start a conversation. That's enough to begin to ask the questions. That's enough to kind of begin that process of opening up the lines of dialogue that are you know needed in those moments, because I could just as easily said, not at all, and then go home and do something drastic. With COVID-19, mm-hmm. Uh, 2020 was a really tough year for a lot of people for a lot of different reasons. Um, in many cases, we've lost our, our ability to socialize, to connect on a personal level with family and friends like we used to. Are you seeing, are you talking to a lot of soldiers uh, and their families about this dissociation? Hmm. Um, yes, sir. I would say a whole lot more last year. I, I think that in addition to just the loss of connection, having to do, you know, virtual drills, not really being able to kind of be with your people, missing your tribe, feeling disconnected or just being alone. That's hard. You know, we aren't really made for isolation. Some of us might choose for a time to intentionally separate ourselves, but to be isolated, that's problematic. I I would often say um, that, Solitary confinement is a punishment for a reason because we don't do well alone. Um, I think that when you add that fact along with a global pandemic where now there's a, a fear, right? It's I can't go see my mom because, you know, she's up in age and she's got pre-existing conditions and I would want to unintentionally bring something to her that might that I might be able to fight off just fine, but it might it might end her life. Um, when you begin to add those stressors, or I don't want to get sick or I'm afraid or my kids are now home. You know, I've never had to homeschool. I mean, those things definitely put a different um, pressure and strain to the family dynamics. And I think that when it has come to a year like 2020, where we're having to kind of learn on the fly and parents who sometimes say, well, you know, I like leaving home and going to my job and, you know, kind of doing this thing and then coming back home. But now I'm working from the house Uh, that creates new problems that maybe we didn't recognize existed. And there really is no um, off switch. People that are always able to escape to go. I'm going to go. I'm going to go to 
the gym or I'm going to go, you know, and do this. Well, now it's like, well, the gyms are closed and the the hangout places are closed and um, the health clubs are closed and all sorts of different things. Um, people are having to figure out, well, what else works? And so to answer your question, I guess, directly, yes. You know, I think that depression, anxiety, and stress just kind of gets through the roof when you're now having to be a full-time employee and over your children's virtual care and trying to all of a sudden become an expert on um, on sanitizing and disinfecting and masking and all those other factors that kind of go along with it. So a lot of our listeners have just heard what Jayla had to say and they're like, gosh, she's really smart. I need to talk to her. I got, I got some problems. I want to talk to her. How do they get a hold of you or anybody else on the behavioral health team? Absolutely. Well, um, I believe that the information is going to be on the app, the National Guard app. So um, that that's one way. Uh, the other way is just to call me directly. I have an office number and a work cell. Um, the office number is 501-212-5411. And the mobile cell is 501-319-3675. Uh, once again, depending upon where you are regionally, um, just because I have resources for, like I said, the Little Rock area and the southernmost part of the state. But if you're up in the northern region, if you're up in northwest Arkansas, then I can connect you to Janie and provide her information. Can we talk a little bit about the statistic of 22 suicides a day? When it comes to that statistic alone, I think that it has the the shock value effect that it's supposed to have. And I, I kind of you know, broach this question very, very tentatively. I think it's important to kind of preface it by saying that uh, for starters, you know, one loss of life is too many. Um, and I think that anybody who works with the military population, um, soldier suicide is going to always be a primary chief concern. You know, in my previous um, place of employment, they used to say, you know, you, we, we can't treat death. And I think that that's essential to note. Um, however, it's also important to communicate the fact that a 22 a day statistic applies to all veterans. No, not just those who are in current military service or those who served in Iraq or Afghanistan post 9-11. Um, when you hear that number 22 is sticks in your head and, and maybe it does, maybe it should point us in the direction of a, of a wider spread problem. But I also think the statistic can be a little bit misleading. Um, there's actually a, um, a veteran and a clinical psychologist. He go, his name is Keith Jennings and he works for, um, stop soldier suicide. And he spoke to that whole idea of the 22 a day statistic and what he said, and I'll try to quote him here. Um, he says that that statistic, um, as shocking as it is kind of creates a narrative and the narrative essentially says an American enlist an American goes to war. Um, the American comes back and is diagnosed with a mental health condition or is now, quote, broken. And then there's this connotation that because they have PTSD, they're ultimately going to kill themselves. And he said that's just a false narrative. I think that, you know, if we want to have a, a force that is both mentally emotionally and physically strong, um, it's imperative we began to focus on preventative care. Uh, doing things like this, where we're having open conversations and dialogue, where we're talking about that, hey, the body is important to, you know, 
to keep healthy and strong, just why we do PT. But the mind is also essential to keep healthy and strong as well. And kind of break away from this idea that if a person goes uh, to uh, a combat zone or has to deploy, that they're going to come back, you know, broken, essentially, um, that becomes a self-fulfilling prophecy. And I think that it can do a lot more harm than good. I do think it's important to also remember that at the end of the day, you know, soldiers are human beings and a soldier is also susceptible to the same life stressors, problems and struggles that anybody else is susceptible to. Um, there are unique stressors that go along with the position of recognizing I might be deployed for a year. Might be, I might not be able to get back to see my child born or some along those lines that are that are unique. But I also believe that it's important to recognize that in most cases, most um, mental health issues are either um, contributed to, exacerbated by um, the normal stuff like you know, struggles or a lack of social um, support, relationship issues, you know, family concerns like infidelity or separation, um, divorce, uh, financial hardship, or even job loss, especially after coming out of 2020. So those are things that impact us all. And if those things always translated to suicide, it'd be a higher number than 22. So for our soldiers and their families in the Arkansas National Guard, how do we put them in touch with the resources? How do we make them aware of what's available to them? Yes, sir. Um, I think a, a good rule of thumb is when in doubt, ask. You know, you don't know what you don't know and you won't know until you ask a question. So just being able to, uh, from a standpoint of wanting to be holistic, wanting to take care of yourself completely and fully, asking your readiness NCO, asking um, members of your command structure, uh, what are the resources? Are there people here that, you know, deal with this issue or that? You can always find, you know, me at a normal, you know, monthly PHA. So if you're ever at MedCom like on Camp Robinson, pop by, come to Behavioral Health Department, say hello. Um, what I've discovered is that people tend to uh, do business or work with those they know, like, and trust. So it's important and it's pretty imperative that you get an introduction going. If you meet me, you know me, or you've heard of me through you know one of these different venues, you might be a lot more comfortable reaching out if you find yourself in a place where you're, you know where you're needing some support. Um, I would also say don't wait. Um, don't wait until things get exceptionally bad. Don't wait until you know it needs to be. Um, something more extre more extreme, like might maybe having to go to the hospital. Let, let's not wait. I think that if you're um, concerned that it could be a problem, let's go ahead and address it head on. Um, and then lastly, you know, ask for help and accept the help when it's offered. We're speaking with Mrs. Jayla Robinson, a behavioral health professional with the Arkansas National Guard. Thanks for being on the show. Yes, sir. Thank you for having me. It was a pleasure. <laughs>